Good morning, church. He is worthy. Certainly he is worthy. It's the reason we're here this morning. Uh, He's worthy of our worship, of our time, of our dedication, of our service. Uh, Jesus is worthy. What a blessing uh, the worship has been this morning. I think of two of the great blessings of our ministry we've experienced this morning to some degree. Our worship ministry, led by Pastor Steve, nearing closer and closer to that retirement, just a few more weeks. I don't need to remind him of that. Uh, But what a blessing his ministry has been here at Choice over the last few years. And then I would say our teen ministry. You experienced the teens that were here for just a few minutes. I believe that is one of our most fruitful ministries of our church over the last year or two is our teen ministry and the Fletchers and those volunteers that serve with them every third Sunday, every Wednesday night. What a blessing they are to the church and to our family. Uh, And so we praise God for those ministries that we've experienced just a little bit this morning. For our time together, I want us to turn in our scriptures to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I want to speak this morning about powerful prayer, powerful prayer, and that it results in good news. I want to take a step back and and talk about something that should be taking place behind the scenes. In fact, I'm going to talk today maybe about something that's not the most exciting, uh, not the most flashy or most thrilling topic. We're not delving into revelation or current events or some other thing of great interest But we're going to talk about prayer this morning, because I believe if God is going to do anything great in this church, if God is going to do anything great in our individual lives, it's going to be because of prayer and God's answer to prayer. I think of George Mueller. If you want to do some some good reading on some Christian people from yesteryear, George Mueller would be one to grab a little book on. You see, George Mueller was a man of prayer. Yes, he was, a, he was a Christian, he was a pastor, he was a social reformer. But he tells a story about the persistence of prayer, and it's in his diary. It's not, he's not boasting, he's not bragging, but just to document what God can do through persistent prayer. It was November 1844. He said, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission. Whether sick or in health, I prayed. If I was at land or sea, I prayed. Whatever pressure was on my engagements of the day, and this is a busy man, he said, I prayed for these five individuals. 18 months passed by before the first of the five was converted. Before any of the five came to Christ, it was 18 months. Can you stop there for a moment and imagine? Every day, 18 months praying for these five individuals. The first one came to Christ. He thanked God, and he moved on to pray for the other four. Five more years went by, and the second was converted and came to Christ. I thank God for the second, he says in his diary, and I prayed for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three, and I went on praying for the other two. But those two remained unconverted. Fast forward 36 years. He wrote one day in his journal, the other two sons, uh, sons of one of his friends he was praying for, they were still not converted. But he wrote this, but I hope in God. 
I pray on and look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. Fast forward a little bit further. 1897, 52 years after he began praying for these five individuals, daily, without interruption. 52 years later, the final two made professions of faith to follow Jesus. What's interesting is actually a few years after he had passed away. He never saw the final two answers to his prayer, but yet by faith he believed in the persistency of prayer. And when you look at the ministry of George Mueller, you won't see a flashy, over-talented individual, but what you'll see is behind the scenes is the persistence of prayer. And for those decades that he prayed, he saw God work in marvelous ways. I think of Luke chapter 18, verse one, where where Jesus told his disciples that, that we ought to pray always and never faint, never give up. Don't lose heart, says one translation. But I want you to know that if I was praying for something for 18 months, and I know this is a different generation and we get distracted so easily, but 18 months without an answer to prayer, I probably would have lost heart. I probably would have fainted. Five years, six years, 30 years, 50 years. But Jesus says, listen, don't lose heart. Keep on praying. Keep on going before the Lord. Have you had that experience where you were ready to give up? Have you had that experience where you lost heart? You were ready to faint on the brink of just giving in. Jesus says this morning to us, listen, press through. Keep praying. Keep commitment. You know, one of the evidences of a believer, a true believer, is is perseverance. That by God's grace, we persevere through difficult circumstances. And some of the greatest testimonies I've seen in my life are God's people persevering through difficult circumstances by God's grace, not of their own strength. And so Jesus says, listen, don't faint, don't give up. I can remember very early on, one of my first experiences of wanting to give up and just quit. I was nine years old and uh, my parents had been begging them for years to, to play baseball. And we'd play in the backyard and we had our own sandlot league and all this stuff. And we, we kept our record books and we had a great time, but it wasn't, it, you know, wasn't legit, it wasn't Little League. So finally, my parents signed me up for Little League and they brought me out to the ball field. I was nine years old and they had tryouts. You know, we'd go catch fly balls, we'd hit, we'd throw. And my first time playing, I didn't think much of it, but I showed up the first day of practice. I was playing for the Pirates, the Little League Pirates in Southern Maryland. And I showed up and I noticed right away, everyone was, was bigger, taller, faster. And I said, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm not gonna be able to do this. I remember getting in the batter's box the first time and this kid looked like he was six foot, 20 foot away from me, throwing it as hard as he could. And I said, I don't know, this isn't, this isn't for me. I found out later that I, I wasn't on the B League, but somehow I made myself on the majors team and it was rather intimidating. Most of the kids were older, bigger, faster, stronger, and I was just totally uncomfortable and I wanted to quit every day. You know what I learned as a nine-year-old? I'd love to say here that I, I, I learned perseverance in this illustration, but I didn't. I told my parents, I said, you know, after a year of that, I said, I'd, I'd rather go play hockey where I got equipment and padding. I got tired of getting hit by these kids throwing the ball, and I was done with baseball. The season I quit, the team went on to win the state championship of Little League for the state of Maryland. And then they repeated the second year. And I remember thinking, watching some of my friends win the state championship twice. And then I got back in baseball, but I missed that opportunity. I remember thinking, you know what? I'm not gonna quit next time when something seems a little difficult, uh, when something seems to be pressing. 
I can recall fast forward a little bit later on in, in, in the church world and ministry, we came to start our first church about 18 years ago. And it wasn't really a start as much as it was, it was a restart of a church. It was a church that had actually been around for over 100 years, a historic church to some level, but there was only a few elderly ladies left in the church, two or three ladies when we came. And I remember those first few Sundays, those first few months where we would show up to church literally and it would be, this would be four kids. I think Summer was born about three months after and she's now here in the youth group. She's 15 years old, just got her learners. This is a while back. So we didn't even have our kids, but I'd look out and it was my wife, Karen, and sometimes that was it. <laughs> Maybe sometimes it'd be two or three elder ladies. That was the first few weeks, the first few months. And I remember thinking, you know, this is, this is horrible. <laughs> we came from a, a bigger church, a bigger ministry, and I wanted to quit. But I persevered by God's grace, and we saw a church grow and establish and God do amazing things. Even recently, during COVID, we have a, a business, our family does, it's, a, it's really a, an event-based business. It's a party rental business. And you can imagine during COVID, there wasn't any parties happening, right? There's no, there no events for a year and a half. And I, I thought to myself, you know, we are not going to make it. I need to, I need to close down this business. This is it. It's, maybe this is God's sign. We just need to wrap it up and close down. And that was a real decision, a real temptation. But by God's grace, he brought us this business through COVID. And it's just amazing to see how God provided, how God is blessed and is doing more through the business now than we ever could have thought, but we persevered. And maybe your situation is, is much more weighty than that. Maybe, maybe it's a health situation or a relationship or a marriage or a situation with your children. Maybe it's your vocation. Maybe it's your faith that's, that's wavering. Maybe it's much more serious than those simple illustrations. But I want you to know this. Jesus says... Pray, don't faint. Pray, don't lose heart. Pray, don't give up. Don't give in, don't back down, but pray, come boldly before the throne of grace, before our Father who desires us and welcomes us to come into his presence and lift your petitions before him. You see, our greatest need of the hour is not a need for a great donor, is not need for a gifted person to stand up. Our greatest need is not any of these things. Our greatest need of the hour is people of God to pray. People of God to come before his presence and lift those petitions. And the God that we pray to hears and answers prayer. Don't lose heart. Now that's not our passage actually this morning. Our passage is in 1 Thessalonians chapter three. So I guess I ought to make our way over there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I want to read our passage for just a moment. It's just a few verses, starting in verse 6 on down to verse 13. 1 Thessalonians. And again, I'm, I'm speaking this morning on powerful prayer that results in good works. But the passage is kind of flipped. We're going to see in verse 6 some powerful things that took place in the life of these believers in Thessalonica. And at the end, we're going to kind of see the secret behind these things that took place. And the secret is is that they were praying for these things to take place. You see, there's this small group of believers in Thessalonica, these new believers. Paul, Timothy, his associates had won them to Christ, had taught them in a very brief time, and had to move on. And they hadn't heard from them, and they were concerned about them. They were in a hostile environment to live out their faith. And Paul is now hearing for the first time the state of these believers. Again, before instant media, before social media, before emails and letters, 
Here we have Paul receiving this letter for the first time from Timothy in chapter three, verse six of 1 Thessalonians, and the Bible says this. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all of our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Father, this morning as we pause to pray before we talk about prayer, Lord, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts the power of prayer, the importance of the persistence of prayer. And Lord, call us back by your Holy Spirit and the conviction of your word to be people of prayer. Lord, this is one of the descriptions that your people have been described through all of time of faith. Lord, that your people are people of prayer. And Lord, forgive us for our prayerlessness. Fill us, Lord, with a thirst and a desire for prayer. Lord, may we be convinced that prayer changes things because there's a God behind that prayer who's all-powerful, who can change things. And Lord, we need you this morning. We need you to work in our lives. We need you to hear our prayers. But Lord, we need to be people of prayer first and foremost. And so Lord, I pray you'd speak to us this morning through this passage and, and may we see that powerful things can be done through the simplicity of prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, we look at our passage and we look at these early verses in verse six and there's some powerful things taking place among these early believers. There's good news that comes from the church. Now, I don't know if what your church background is or church experience is. Uh, we've been a part of three different churches in the last 20 plus years. Not a lot of churches, but, but sometimes you hear bad news <laughs> from church, right? Uh, you hear some negative things, uh, conflict, turmoil. Uh, you hear of tragedy, difficulty, spiritual challenges, family challenges, leadership challenges, but always thrills our hearts when we hear of good news. Still to this day, when we hear from our, our brothers and sisters in Pensacola, Florida, where we ministered in our first church, when we hear good news, it rejoices our soul and our spirit. When we hear good news about the church we were at, Flat Run Church, for 14 years, to this day, it causes me to rejoice and have gratitude and joy that God is working among those people. You know, Paul says there's, there's some good news resulting from this little church of people in Thessalonica, these, these believers in, in verse six. And, and I don't know about you, but I'd rather hear good news any day than bad news. When the accountant calls or the plumber calls or the HVAC technician, as he called me a few weeks ago, he said, hey, I got bad news. He says, you need a whole new heat pump. <laughs> That's, that was a bad day, right? Uh, when the plumber calls and says, hey, you need a, 
a new hot water heater. And when the mechanic calls and says, hey, you've, you might need a new transmission. That's a bad week. That happened to me a few weeks ago, all those things in the same week. That was a bad week. <laughs> bad news. No one wants to hear bad news. Uh, let me ask you this. When you hear good news, how does it impact you and how does it affect you? What is the good news you've heard in the last few weeks? If you do a catalog of that for a moment, maybe you need to stretch it back a little further. Maybe you're in a funk or discouragement season. You say, that has been no good news. We'll, we'll dial it back a couple months, maybe a couple years. The good news that comes to mind, what was, what was behind that good news? What produced that good news? Some might say, you know, it was, it was just chance. It was so random. This happened and it worked out and that was good news. Maybe you say, no, it wasn't chance or random. I, I did this. I worked hard and it produced this and it resulted in good news. But how many of us can pinpoint and say, you know what, I, I experienced some good news recently and it was the answer to prayer. It was God working. It was, it was, it was, it was not mistakenly me or chance or random, but God answered that prayer. May I suggest convictingly to myself, and if you want to listen on this, you can, that if, if I am not having those kind of good news things happen in my life that I can link to prayer, it may be because I'm not praying like I should. It may be that I'm not praying for the things that I ought to be praying for, because I want you to know that God answers prayer with good news. This expression, good news, is, is the same word and verbiage that we get the gospel from. The word gospel is, is literally good news, that Jesus has died for our sins and rose again. It's such good news that we don't have to perish and pay for our sins, but we can experience God's love and God's grace. And Paul equates this good news he's hearing from this church with the idea of the gospel that's such great news. Well, this good news that Paul is hearing is that these believers are growing in their faith. There's good news about their faith in verse seven that, that even though they were there for just a brief time, they are grounded and they are growing and they are maturing in their faith. And Paul says, listen, this is good news. Not just their faith, but notice in verse seven, good news about their love. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. What, what stresses you out? That's another thing I grabbed from this passage is, is the things that make Paul happy and the things that make him stressed are related to the spiritual growth of others. Now, sometimes it's so temperamental what gets us upset, right? What gets us stressed out. I can be stressed out over this, the, the things that are so temperamental that shouldn't affect me emotionally or affect me spiritually or mentally, but I allow them to. And then we ask ourselves, well, what makes us joyful? What makes us excited? And if we're honest and we look at those things, are they temperamental as well? But what makes Paul joyful and what makes Paul stressed is the care and the watch for the souls of these believers. I'll never forget our first missions trip. I was a new youth pastor and I had this brave trip planned out. We were gonna go to the Bahamas. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the youth pastor? This guy's like 23 years old. He comes to the church. He says, hey, we want to take a group of teens to the Bahamas. <laughs> they said yes, and we went to the Bahamas. I don't know how this all happened, but we went to the Bahamas. We had a friend there who was a pastor on staff at a church, and they did a lot of outreach among the islands, and they had a camp there. And we went down with a group of teens. And it was the last night of a children's outreach, a week-long, grueling week. And we saw God work. We saw professions of faith. We saw families connected to the church and the ministry there. 
I'll still remember, it was, it was New Testament Baptist Church, I believe the name of the church. And they had this 20 passenger van where they packed 50 kids plus in it some nights. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Another 15 passenger van, there'd be like 30 kids in that one. I don't know how, they bust all the kids in, 100 kids, I think it was on two vans. And they, I think they made more than one trip. I remember the last night, the kids were packed in the van. One of the deacons of the church, he, he walks out and he says to our group of teens, in the backdrop, all these kids are yelling on the bus, they're getting ready to pull out. He says, hey, I'm going home, I'm not gonna see you guys. We were flying out the next day. He says, I may not see you again, but if I ever see you again, I hope my desire is that you're following Jesus. We'd only known him for a week, but he said to us, he said, hey, if this is my desire. If I, if I happen to ever cross paths with any of you again, I, my hope and my desire is that you're following Jesus. I don't know why, but I've never forgotten what he said. And he wasn't even talking directly to me. He was talking to our teens. But I've often thought about each of those teens that were on that trip. And I've thought about the words of that deacon in the Bahamas. And I've thought about the state of those teens that I've watched their lives over the years, how some are following Jesus, but there's several that are not and are very far from Jesus. And I've thought about those words and his desire in his heart. That's the heart of Paul here. That's the heart of any pastor that he cares for the souls and the spiritual state of his people. And it's like a roller coaster being a pastor. When I was a pastor for 14 years, I can remember riding that roller coaster of, of emotions. When people are doing well and growing in Christ, and it's exhilarating, it's exciting. But you know, roller coasters, they go up and they, they come back down, right? When people are drifting from Jesus and, and trapped in sin and making decisions to drift away from Jesus, it is very discouraging. That's how Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6. He talks about the church of Corinth where he was devastated and depressed, really depressed. And pastors do experience depression. Uh, they go through difficulties and sometimes, just like us, all of us go through difficulties and depression, but a lot of times the pastor's depression and discouragement is, is rooted in the state of where the people are spiritually. And Paul says, I was depressed because the Corinthians were, were in a state of sin. He was devastated by it. But what does he say here? He says, I am overfilled with joy. I am excited. And so I think sometimes, what makes me excited? What makes me discouraged? What makes me stressed? Is it related to all things that are eternal, things that are lasting, things that God is trying to do, or is it more temperamental? But Paul says good news brings gratitude and joy. There's good news about their faith and good news about their love. They're growing and they're abounding and there's good news that brings gratitude and joy and there's good news. Notice this in verse 10. This is really key in our passage for the point I'm trying to make. Verse 10, good news is the result of significant prayer. The good news in your life, I'll circle back to that question, what is it the result of? Any good news in your life, what is it the result of? Is it the result of random luck, chance, things falling to your favor? Is it because of your giftedness or your hard work? Is there some good news in your life and my life that is the result of significant prayer? You see, this is what verse 10 says in our passage today. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. And he could just said night and day, and that's convicting. He says night and day exceedingly. We know that the scriptures tell us that we ought to pray without ceasing. 
And I must be honest here, I don't pray night and day. I probably wouldn't describe my prayer life either as exceedingly. And I'm not uh, preaching as an expert on prayer. I'm not saying I'm a prayer warrior. I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning as I preach to you. But night and day, uh, praying without ceasing, one thing I've tried to discipline myself to do is, is when a prayer need arises is to stop and pray right there and not box it up to a morning prayer time, which I may or may not get to, right? But to pray in the moment when the Spirit prompts, and I believe that's the, the idea of praying without ceasing, to be in the spirit of prayer at all times. When the Spirit of God impresses us to pray, we, we pray. And, and I believe they were laboring. I don't believe they were on their knees literally night and day, praying all the time. There may have been seasons of that, but they were laboring, and they were doing their jobs, and, and he was a tent maker, and they were doing ministry, and they were loving on people, but they were in the spirit of prayer, and they were praying for these believers that were weighing heavy on their heart. And folks, we ought to be praying exceedingly. Could we pray more? We certainly could. One evangelist told, told us, a group of pastors early preparing for ministry, he says, hey, if you ever want to have your altar full, if you ever want to preach a convicting message, you just preach on prayer. And he's right, because all of us struggle in seasons of our prayer life. We can all improve in our prayer life. We could pray more exceedingly. We can pray more consistently. And we can pray more accurately for the things that God wants us to pray for. Why is it that we don't see God work and move? Could it be the absence of prayer? Jesus said this, you have not because you ask not. Jesus said this about laborers. He says, the fields are white unto harvest. Pray therefore that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers. You see, Jesus calls us to pray and he says that a lot of our problems are prayerlessness problems. Not lack of budget, not lack of, of gifted person, not lack of technology, not current events. We can blame things on COVID or we can say, well, circumstances dictated this or our government is doing this or, oh boy, if we just had this. Let me tell you this, that if we were people of prayer, God would do what he desires to do in and through us and among us. Good news is the result of significant prayer. Now, let me fast forward and finish up with our last few verses here of this passage in verses 11 through 13. We see the prayer for the church here in these verses. And there's prayer for connection and fellowship. Yeah, prayer for increased love. And those are the things we like in church. We like hanging out and we like loving one another. And he prays for those things. And he, he's already heard that they're doing those things well, but I pray that you're connected. I pray you're in fellowship. I pray that your love continues to abound. Notice he says that in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. Well, how are all these things happening? Again, we're, we're kind of getting a sneak picture of what was taking place. They had been praying night and day exceedingly for these things to happen, and God produces these things as an answer to prayer. Prayer. When I think of prayer, I think of that which takes place behind the scenes. When you come to church, we're, we're often thinking about the worship or this, this teaching time. But it's the ministry of prayer that works behind the scenes that I believe is one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful thing a church can do. And it's also easily overlooked, that which is not seen. Sometimes we look at great ministries like the Billy Graham Evangelization Association. It's been around for 70 plus years. And we, we say, wow, Billy Graham was a gifted speaker. Have you heard Billy Graham preach or teach? I mean, he is the most average, normal person like you're just having a conversation. You say, how did, 
how did God use this guy? You know what he says is the secret? If you read his autobiography, now you'll need a couple months to read it. It's like 800 pages. It's like this thick, just as I am. After he passed away a few years ago, I've read the whole thing. It is one of the most amazing books I've ever read, story after story of what took place behind the scenes in his ministry of literally winning hundreds and hundreds, if not millions of people to Christ. But he tells a story about a lady named Pearl Good. Uh, Pearl was a widow, a nurse, 60 years old, Pasadena, California. In 1949, Billy Graham and his associates came to California. He wasn't really known at this time. No one really knew who Billy Graham was. He wasn't a national name or icon, even among Christians. He was just this young guy coming to LA to do a tent meeting. They popped up these tents, hoping a few hundred people would come. Well, Pearl Good made her way down to the meeting and just, she said, God impressed on my heart that I need to pray for these young evangelists. So she came and she prayed and this meeting, God broke out and this meeting that was scheduled for, I think two weeks went on several months and it kept growing and growing every night, people coming, making professions of faith, giving their life to God. And Pearl had made a commitment that she would begin praying for them wherever they went. Later on in her life, uh, they found out that she had traveled 50,000 miles by Greyhound bus uh, to go to these meetings. And she would go to the meeting, not to actually attend the meeting, but she would check herself in on her own dime to the closest motel, and she would find out what time they were starting and what time Billy Graham would be speaking. And she'd get in a room at that motel and she would pray during the time that Billy Graham would be speaking. And then she'd travel to the next town and she was retired on Greyhound bus. And folks, have you ever traveled on a Greyhound bus? That is the most miserable thing that I've ever experienced. <laughs> I went on a Greyhound bus to visit my wife when we were in college from DC to Detroit and we made it back. I will never do it again unless I'm forced to do it. But she did this for 50,000 miles, 50,000 miles, motel room after motel room. Have you stayed in a motel room too? I mean, this is, this is a commitment, but it's her prayer life. The Billy Graham Association accredits not their giftedness, not their donors who have given significant amounts of money, not the talented staff that they've acquired that really is an entire team to this day, but they accredit to God's working people like Pearl who have behind the scenes quietly and persistently prayed that God would do something significant. Billy Graham was preaching one night and he sensed something different, something lacking during that message. Later he found out it was during that exact hour of his preaching that Pearl Good had passed away. And he said something was lacking, something was missing. I could tell that, that prayer had made a difference in his ministry. You know, some in the church today say, well, we, we need another Billy Graham. But really what the church needs is another Pearl, right? And we don't just need one, we need, we need dozens of them. What does Choice Baptist Church need? Oh, Choice Baptist Church needs a Pearl, right? We need people behind the scenes that are praying, when no one knows. We need people praying for the families of choice, for the teens of choice, for the children, for the parents and the grandparents. We need people praying for our community. Our greatest need of the hour is a need for prayer. What is God speaking to you this morning? Would he be speaking to you about devoting yourself consistently to prayer? 
you know, I know we're all crammed on time and we all have different gifts and abilities, but I know this much, God calls us all to pray. He's given us all those in Christ have his spirit in us and we can go boldly before the throne of grace, asking God to work on behalf of our church and our community and our families. And listen, don't faint, don't give up when you don't see the results that you wanna see. Just keep on praying as Pearl did. You see, our greatest need of the hour is the need for prayer. That's one of the beautiful things about our ministry, Pray and Go, that we're just now launching for the rest of the summer, is that really this is our focus. We wanna walk through our community, and we wanna pray for people pausing in front of their home, praying for them, and we're just leaving a little note saying we prayed for you. If we can help you in any way, let us know. We're not trying to invite them to church, really. Uh, We're not trying to pressure them into making a profession of faith. We just want people to know that that our church is about prayer and we wanna pray for them. You know, Jesus said, let my house be a house of prayer. Now we know this building is just a tabernacle, it's just a shelter. The Bible says that our bodies themselves are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And if he says, my house shall be a house of prayer, he also refers to us as individuals, that, that we ought to be people and individuals of prayer. And I believe that's what God's calling us to this morning. He's calling us to be people of prayer. Father, as we close in prayer this morning, Lord, forgive us for, for being so easily distracted and overlooking one of the most powerful and precious things that we have. And that is our ability to come and talk to you and fellowship with you and worship you through prayer. Oh yes, the music is is special and it's powerful and Bible teaching is helpful and it's practical and it's life changing. Lord, may we not neglect one of the greatest ministries that all of us are called to participate in, the ministry of prayer. Or may we commit ourselves to praying daily, consistently, persevering through difficulties and distractions. Forgive us, Lord, of our prayerlessness. And Lord, give us a greater passion. May we thirst and hunger to be in your presence, to be in the spirit of prayer unceasingly. And Lord, may your spirit prompt us and point us continually to prayer, even when we want to faint, even when we want to give up. Or may we pray. And may we keep on praying. That's our prayer this morning. Make us people of prayer. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.